Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, December 11th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the state economist's office projects higher than expected revenues for 2019. What does that mean for the 2020 budget? Also, the House has formally drafted articles of impeachment against President Trump. We look at the significance of this momentous act. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, we talk with the University of Mississippi's first female African-American Rhodes Scholar. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's state economist estimates lawmakers will have more money to allocate during the upcoming 2020 legislative session than originally thought. Darren Webb says tax revenue grew by about half a percent. He explains that growth with MPB's Desiree Frazier. And our current projections are for 2020 uh, to be a half a percent growth over 2019. Now, half a percent really doesn't seem like a lot, and we've heard that the states surrounding Mississippi have seen double-digit growth. So, in the overall perspective, where are we? Well, it's true that uh, half percent is not a whole lot. Uh, part of the reason why it is a half percent is because we have had some tax law changes. So growth is a little bit, in, in real terms, it's better than the half percent that, that's reflected by the by the estimate. So, uh, and, and as you mentioned about the other states, um, it is true that other states are seeing stronger growth, particularly in uh, personal income tax and um, even, well, I don't know if they're, they're beating us in corporate because corporate's very strong in Mississippi, but, um, but they are seeing some stronger growth. And their economy is growing a little bit better than ours. Now, when you talk about the tax law changes, does that refer to the tax cuts that were implemented by the legislature? Well, when I say ta- I mean legislative changes, it, it's, it's not necessarily just the tax cuts. The tax cuts would be involved as well, uh, but also with the uh, special session that we had uh, last uh, earlier there, this year, we're going to see some increased diversions. So the general fund gets less money. It's 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 money still collected, but it's it's being diverted uh, in this case into infrastructure. How much money will the legislature have to work with? Can you do you know what that is? Well, the current uh, general fund estimate for 2020 is five billion nine hundred ninety-six point two million dollars, so just under six billion dollars. That is the gross total general fund estimate. That number is twenty-eight point four million dollars above what we actually collected in 2019. It is $137.8 million above what we thought we were going to have when the sign-a-die estimate was actually adopted. Um, Our collections for FY19 exceeded our estimate, and our collections to date for the fiscal year 
have exceeded our estimate. So that's why we increased our estimate by the $137.8 million. Well, that's good news for the state. Where are you seeing the increases in collections coming? We're seeing strong growth uh, in most revenue sources. Uh, We are seeing particularly strong growth in corporate taxes. We think much of that has to do with sort of a windfall uh, from the the federal tax law changes that were made. uh, And we have also seen increases in personal income tax. That's also up very strong. But even sales tax in nominal terms uh, are up a significant amount of 3.1%. Darren Webb is Mississippi's state economist. State House Democrat Earl Banks of Jackson is pleased with the revenue projection, but says Mississippi is missing out by refusing to expand Medicaid. Of course, when revenue projections are up, it's always good uh, for the state of Mississippi. Um, I'm disappointed that we don't have further revenue uh, projections that are upward because the state has refused to expand Medicaid, which is a, a, over a billion dollar a year worth of income, to uh, various corporations, hospitals, pharmacists, and, and nurses and doctors in the state of Mississippi, which they will be paying, of course, income tax on. So I'm very still disappointed in that, but we're very happy about the other revenue increase. Uh, as far as my perspective on revenue increase, of course, uh, our Need would be, of course, to uh, take care of any deficits that we have and any uh, current appropriations of any other uh, state agencies. I don't know of any at this time. I'm sure there probably will be. Uh, Maybe Medicaid, of course, and others. I do not know. But of course, I think we should first be dedicated to fully funding the Mississippi Adequate Education Program for public education K through 12. I think that should be a strong priority. State Senate Republican Dean Kirby of Pearl says lawmakers must be cautious in their appropriation of these surplus funds. Yes, our revenues are good. People, uh, there are more people working than any time in history uh, in our state. There are more uh, dollars being collected by our state, and the state's in the best financial position it's ever been in. And we have a, a nice surplus now. We have to be very careful with our surplus, of course. Uh, we can't uh, just spend it all. Uh, well, it's raining outside right now, so you know you have to say you have to have money for a rainy day. Uh, so we have to be very careful with it. We make sure that we spend a lot of that money on uh, uh, non-recurring uh, uh, expenses. So uh, we don't want to. In other words, just one-time money. It's, you can't give it to something. Uh, that every year you're going to have those expenses or we'll find ourselves in trouble as the state has been in in the past. The new legislative session begins January 7th. Coming up, the House has formally drafted articles of impeachment against President Trump. We look at the significance of this momentous act. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey there, it's Joshua Johnson from 1A. People have lots of stories about their cars. That long summer road trip, the first hand-me-down, the first car you bought on your own. But cars can generate other kinds of stories, like the stories you hear on this station. You can donate your old car. Here's how. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. Happy Holidays from Mississippi Public Broadcasting. 
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Speaker Nancy Pelosi has announced that the House will pursue a formal impeachment against President Donald Trump. Two articles of impeachment were presented by the Speaker and the chairs of the various committees involved in the impeachment inquiry on Tuesday. Matt Steffi is a professor of law at Mississippi College. He speaks with MPB's Michael Guidry about the significance of this historic action. It is in some ways the most solemn or one of the most solemn things the uh, the, the the house uh, and the senate uh, uh, does with regard to domestic politics but in terms of its structural role in our constitutional democracy uh, impeachment is always momentous even if it's a lesser official or a federal judge for example which happens more commonly But for a president, the head of a co-equal branch of government, it is unusual, it is momentous, it is among the most important things that the House will undertake. The people elected Donald Trump to be president through the Electoral College and the mechanisms with which we're all familiar, and he exercises the full executive power. You know, with Congress and even with the Supreme Court and the rest of the court system, uh, power is diffuse among a number of people. With the president, it resides in a single person. So impeaching that person is a, you know, addresses the entirety in a way of a co-equal branch of government. You mentioned the separation of powers and, and the powers of the executive kind of being concentrated in a single person. On uh, July 23rd, coincidentally or not, two days before the infamous call, the, the president addressed the Turning Point USA conference and saying, I have an Article 2 where I have the right to do whatever I want as president. But also in that Article 2 is the words and the phrases that really are paramount to everything that we've been discussing on the national level over these last few months, and that is the president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. And this is where I'm going with that. And a lot of the the defense of the president's actions from one particular party has been that no crime has been committed, and therefore you cannot charge him with high crimes and misdemeanors. Can you, from a scholarly perspective, kind of break down that phrase, what exactly it means in this context? What exactly it means is, at its margin, is a subject of some debate. The idea was that the president could be removed for treason, bribery, other felonies, and other significant crimes that constitute malfeasance in office. I think scholars would agree that abuse of office is a misdemeanor in the constitutional sense, is the kind of malfeasance in office that would warrant impeachment. Now, whether or not President Trump committed an abuse of his office is the question at hand. And at the end of the day, impeachment is permissible when the House and Senate decide that the grounds are met. They, uh, without question, have the last word on this. You brought up the abuse of power article. The Judiciary Committee and the House in general has raised two specific articles of impeachment, and those are abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. From an academic perspective, what is the calculation in 
specifically choosing these two articles? I think because of the momentous political import, the national interest, that part of it was to keep this question narrowly focused in ways that are understood without resort to technical questions that only a, a, a lawyer could love. That abuse of power and obstruction of Congress is focused on the Ukrainian incident and involves, I think, more broadly comprehensible issues. I think most people can understand that uh, the, the allegations against the president, which are that he abused the power of his office in using holding money over the head uh, of the Ukrainian government in order to gain political advantage, not in order to pursue the interest of the United States, but to pursue the interest of candidate Trump. And I think the involvement of his personal lawyer, uh, Rudy Giuliani, and all of that kind of highlights that issue. And obstruction of Congress is plain and simple. The president repeatedly refused to let people testify or provide any information as Congress was trying to discharge its constitutional duty. You started to answer this question by talking about how these are kind of narrowly focused. And part of that reason is so that the citizenry can really digest what is being charged uh, without getting into all the technicalities and the legalese. What role do you think our modern consumption of information plays in a decision like that? Do you think the way that the citizenry consumes information is a factor in all of that? I really do. I think the, 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 that this is as much for the American people and the election next year as it is for the Senate. Uh, the consensus seems to be that the chance of the Senate convicting and removing President Trump from office is essentially zero. And so then who is the audience for it, for, for this, if not the Senate? I think it's the American people. You know, I think that shedding light on the apparent misdeeds of the president, given how vast the president's powers are, given how unchecked many of the president's powers are, given that the presidency has grown exponentially beyond anything the the, the, the founders of our constitutional democracy intended or envisioned. I think that if we don't have checks and balances, then we move ever closer to an imperial presidency. And so if you thought the House were warranted in investigating President Clinton, then it seems to me that, that you have to conclude it's warranted here. Because if it's not the House doing it, then nobody will. Richard Nixon famously said, if the president does it, that's what makes it that makes it legal. And I think any check on that line of thinking is good for all of us. Matt Steffi is a professor at Mississippi College School of Law. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, we talk with the University of Mississippi's first female African-American Rhodes Scholar. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Have you been in this situation? You're listening to a great story on Think Radio in your vehicle, but now it's time to go inside. You want to keep listening, but you're ready to move on. What can you do? Pull up the MPB Public Media app on your phone while you're in the car. You can continue listening to that great MPB local show and not miss a moment. 
Search for the MPB Public Media app in your app store. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. There are several different types of aneurysms, and they're typed according to where they are, like the location. The aorta is the main artery that comes off of the heart and goes to the rest of the body. Now, the wall of that is made up of different tissues. It's made up of a thin lining layer called the intima. It's made up of the media, which is the muscular layer. And then it has an outer wall that's sort of a a fibrous tissue. An aneurysm just means that that aorta is getting bigger and bigger. The biggest danger is a rupture. So if it gets big enough and weak enough that it can rupture out, and that's a bad, bad deal, you have to get immediate medical attention uh, if you're going to survive that. Uh, But you can have things called pseudoaneurysms, and these are mainly weaknesses in the interior portion of that. So you can have little cavities that form. And if you think about the blood in the aorta like a river, you want that river to be nice and straight. Uh, so that there's not pooling of blood uh, that can form blood clots. The narrowing of those blood vessels, particularly the aorta, can cause problems downstream. And sometimes it can, the little vessels that come off of it, it can block those up too. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. From the plains of the Mississippi Delta to the halls of Oxford University. That's the story of Ariel Hudson, the University of Mississippi's first female African-American Rhodes Scholar. She talks with us about the process of becoming a Rhodes Scholar and how she plans to use her scholarship experience to give back to her home state. It's not as tedious as most people would think. But it is very competitive, and I think that they examine examine the application very critically, and then they pick finalists from each district. And so there are 16 districts within the U.S., and from that, um, they host the interviews with the finalists, and they pick two actual Rhodes Scholars from each district, which makes up the 32 that comes from the U.S. What was your reaction when you found out you had been chosen? <laughs> I'm still pretty much in shock. Um, I don't think it really has hit me yet that this is my reality, but it's hit pretty much everybody else. And they're like, oh, my God, how does it feel? And I'm like, it kind of still feels the same right now. There are four categories that make up the criteria for selection. Did you feel your strength was greater in one or more of those categories? Yeah, so I think, um, I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but I do know that leadership is one, and I know that commitment to serving others is one. And cause I think for me, if I had to pick my strongest one, I would definitely say it's my commitment to serving others because I love being involved in my community and being involved with the people around me because I feel like you have to know the people around you. You have to help them however you can with whatever abilities that you have that they may not have. And so that's really why I want to be a civil rights attorney and an educational policymaker because I feel that education is my strong point. And so I feel like if you have something that's your strong point, you should be willing to share that with someone else and help them build up as well. So I would definitely say it's those two. You said you weren't expecting to be named 
and your reaction and how surprised you were. What does it mean to be the first African-American woman at Ole Miss to be chosen? I think it's a great accomplishment, but at the same time, it really makes me reflect on the fact that for so long, women didn't even have the opportunity to be a Rhodes Scholar, let alone African-American women. And so for this to be 2019, yes, the process is very competitive, it just really opens my eyes to the lack of access that women had for so long to opportunities like this. From Mississippi to Oxford University in England, what kind of culture shock do you expect to face? <laughs> from from going over there this summer, it wasn't an immediate culture shock, but I was only there for about um, two days actually in Oxford, but I was in the U.K. for two weeks. But I think once I get there, I'll see that there's a lot in common between the U.K. and the U.S which is kind of what I've heard from scholars who are there now, that it's not really too much different. It's really just in another space, another location, and you're experiencing some of the same hardships, some of the same prejudices that you would face in the U.S., even also some of the Will you get good in-depth training or, or an education in education policy and civil rights law? And so what I decided to do, I actually just completed my degree application to study law, which they call jurisprudence over there as a second bachelor's degree. And I have an interview for that um, this upcoming Tuesday. So hopefully if I get that, get into a college from that, I will be studying law um, for two years while I'm there. But if I don't, then I will go ahead and study the two masters in comparative social policy and comparative international education. You will be heading to the Mississippi Delta, where you are, what, obligated, required to work as a teacher? I can choose to teach wherever I want to in Mississippi, but I specifically want to teach in the Mississippi Delta because I know what it's like to undergo a Mississippi Delta education. I know the inequities that exist. I know the lack of resources that are there. And I really want to try to enhance that experience for students and show them that there is someone who has been through what they've been through with the circumstances that are surrounding them, but who has risen up and that they can also rise up and that they shouldn't let limitations affect their abilities because there is so much that you can do to overcome that. We wish you the very best. Ariel Hudson is a senior at the University of Mississippi. She has just been named a Rhodes Scholar, and on top of that, she is the first African-American woman from Ole Miss to be named a Rhodes Scholar. Thank you so much for being with us, and again, best of luck to you and your future endeavors. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.